Welcome to the Business of Psychology podcast, the show that helps you to reach more people, help more people, and build the life you want to live by doing more than therapy. Hello and welcome to the Business of Psychology. Today I'm here with Dr. Sarah Swan. Sarah was a senior level psychologist in the NHS, specialising in severe and enduring mental health conditions. Until in 2019, she struck out into the independent psychology realm and founded the Swan Consultancy. Since then, Sarah has also been on the board of the ACP, a body for clinical psychologists in the UK, and she's published a self-help book for people coping with breast cancer. Now, there's a lot more that I could say, Sarah, but before I do, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Rosie. It's nice to see you again. I'm so pleased to have you here today because this series of the podcast is all about finding fulfilment in your work. And I think often when people are leaving the NHS, one of the worries is that independent work won't align as well with their values or they won't be able to follow their interests. So I'd really like to ask you some questions today about your journey into private practice and your experience of taking on the epic challenge of writing a book. So firstly, I suppose, would you describe your independent work as fulfilling? Absolutely. And I say it so often now that, um, yeah, I feel like I've been able to create um, a a range of different activities that I do that absolutely does fulfil me. And um, yeah, I I kind of wake up excited to work every day. (laughs) And that's such a lovely feeling, isn't it? And I'm sure there'll be people listening to this who are dreaming of feeling like that. Um, so what does your work look like then you mentioned you've got kind of diverse activities that you do yeah so um, I do a couple of days of therapy um, and then I also have associates so um, I've got other other avenues for um, the too many referrals that I receive Um, and that's really nice as well to feel like I've got a team because that was something I thought I would miss in in the NHS um and yeah I think we've got a nice a nice little group we have like monthly CPD sessions so we feel like we're coming together sorry uh, peer supervision sessions and then we do some CPD as well um so yeah it feels like we, we've got a nice little team um and then I also do uh, expert witness work for the family court um, which was not something I envisaged doing and um, was kind of persuaded by a friend of mine who does this work a lot. Um, but actually, I've really enjoyed it. Um, and it gives me greater flexibility because other than the time that you spend doing the face to face assessment, the rest of the work is obviously all the background reading and the re- report writing. So it gives me a lot more flexibility. Um, And then we've spoken before about how I've done work with businesses and organisations around employee wellbeing. Um, So I do bits of that. Uh, And then, um, although I'm no longer a director with the ACP, I still do work for them. Um, So I'm leading on setting up the independent practice network. Um, which has been really good so far and great way of sort of networking and meeting other people that you wouldn't come across otherwise. Um, And again, building up a sense of being part of something, having kind of a team and um, yeah, just lots of opportunities to collaborate with people, which is really exciting actually. 
Um, is that everything? And then the book, of course. <laughs> the small thing of the book. The small thing of the book, <laughs> yeah. And, and along with that has been, because it's a series of books, so um, I'm supporting the other authors in the series um, to, yeah, to put, put their books out as well, which again is just really enjoyable and satisfying and um yeah has brought uh, you know some new skills to light that I never knew I had around editing um and yeah it's it's really fulfilling there's such a theme of collaboration around that and I think people often imagine that you go into independent practice and then you sit in a room on your own and it can be that way I think but it sounds like you've been very proactive about reaching out, building those networks, particularly professional networks that that give you the fulfillment that you found in the NHS before. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it was, you know, one of my biggest concerns on on leaving the NHS. And whilst I I you know I I I do quite like working independently. Um, you know, I really enjoy and um get motivation I guess from from working with other people as well um and yeah the other thing I didn't mention that I do as well it is supervision and um coaching of of other psychologists and again that was coming from the fact that my other biggest concern on leaving the NHS was losing that opportunity for supporting and mentoring others so yeah, it was really about thinking when I was leaving, okay, what do I enjoy about my NHS role? What do I not want to lose? But how can I find that creatively in other areas in, in independent practice? It's so helpful, isn't it, to come back to what do I value? Mm. And you can create that in such different and creative ways, but you have to be in touch with it first. Yeah, And I think it's well worth anybody listening who's thinking about leaving the NHS or, you know, even just setting up a small practice alongside your NHS work, thinking about what those values really are so that you can build something that actually meets them um, rather than just copying what somebody else did that might have worked for them but might not sort of hit your values very well. So I think that's a really helpful story to share. Yeah, because I think for, for me, and I've had conversations with other people about this, you know, my value was about working for the NHS for such a long time and I never envisaged working privately at all um and then when it came that actually the day-to-day work and the way I had to work within the NHS because that was conflicting with my values so much it it was then that I began to consider life outside of the NHS. So you mentioned the NHS work wasn't sort of hitting your values as much as it had done in the past. So was it an easy decision to to leave or were there things that you worried about at the time? Yeah, I wouldn't say it was an easy decision at all. And I think it took me several years really to to come to that conclusion that that was the right thing to do. Um, Yeah, I think it was, you know, a culmination of different things um, within the NHS that was just making it feel like it wasn't I wasn't able to work in the way that I wanted to work, um, that it, um, it wasn't good for my well-being, that I was compromising too much in terms of my work-life balance and spending time with my family. Um, so, yeah, I started out doing a bit of um, private work 
because initially my request to compress my hours to give more time off uh, was denied. So I decided to cut my hours, but that meant I had to make it make up the money elsewhere. So that's why I started doing a little bit of private work. And um, yeah, having got to a senior position in the NHS, I wasn't doing very much clinical work. So actually got back in touch with why I went into the profession initially was around the, the client work actually and found that, you know, whereas I'd maybe got quite burnt out in the NHS of working with people with really very complex difficulties, um, you know, the, the private work was actually more rewarding in that way. Um, so, yeah, that started to um, give me a bit more confidence that actually um, I could create something more fulfilling outside of the NHS. So did you start off with the kind of usual model of seeing a, a few people for therapy work to start yeah. with? How did that evolve into the kind of diverse practice you have now? Um, hmm, good question. I'm trying to recall now. I think alongside that, I started doing the stuff with businesses. And so that, although it was really scary, it was really good to show me that actually my skills were transferable and that there were other ways of using my skills my skills outside of an NHS context um, and so then I started to kind of build a kind of business model of what I needed in order to be able to afford financially to leave the NHS um, and um, yeah then started to to build up my client work it was sort of started to build through word of mouth um, through doing sort of some promotion locally joining the directories, that kind of thing. Um, and so when I uh, uh, resigned in 2019, um, it, you know, I was anxious, of course, about how it was going to pan out and whether it was going to bring me in enough money and whether the work would be stable enough. Um, but I, I had got to a point where I felt confident enough to take the risk and confident that I had exhausted the options in the NHS. Were there any major struggles in building the practice to the point where it, it does sustain you financially and feel fulfilling? Um, well, my breast cancer diagnosis was the, the major um, obstacle there, which happened just two weeks after I resigned. Um, <laughs> So in my three months notice period, I was planning to explore all the critical illness cover and all of that sort of stuff, but I hadn't had that um, in place. So that was an issue financially. So for people setting out, I would say, get that in place straight away. Um, but aside from that, um, I think, you know, there's, Obviously, then the pandemic hit as well, and that was a concern. But as most of us have found, actually, that's that then increased our referral rate even more. Um, it's difficult building the stuff with businesses. You kind of, uh, I've I've found anyway that I've needed to have a foot in the door by having some kind of connection, even if that's been quite sort of a uh, a loose connection. Um, and I've struggled to kind of keep up the. Um, 
promotion of that side of things in order to keep work flowing in um yeah does that answer your question <laughs> yeah I mean I, I it's it's difficult to imagine how much pressure you must have been under um getting such a big diagnosis at such a critical moment mm. um but I wonder if going through that experience at the beginning of your journey of being a full-time independent practitioner I wonder if that's given you anything that is useful to you now mm. if that makes sense yeah I mean I think definitely it highlighted I needed to have work that um could be done more flexibly and mm. wasn't necessarily face-to-face -face or you know online work um so that I could um also I can flex up uh when I want to and that I can ease back if I feel I need to rest more um yeah so that's been really important um and yeah giving me the confidence actually because I I work throughout my treatment um and yeah it gave me the confidence that I can do that and also that if your work is in line with your values that actually that's something you want to do rather than it be feeling like an absolute chore so you know although it was incredibly hard to keep working throughout my treatment um I also think it really helped me to um maintain my sense of who I am um and uh yeah, gave me the confidence that I can, I can do that even even at times that are, are really difficult. And what would you say have been, you know, the best bits of independent practice up to now? Are there any like standout highlight moments for you? Oh gosh, that's a difficult one. I don't think there's any particular moments as such, but it's just the day-to-day -day being able to arrange things on the whole around how I want to do them, to be able to fit in, going to the gym, catching up with a friend for coffee, going for a walk, um, you know, being there when the children need me. Sorry, that that became later because they're teenagers now. They don't need me so often. But um, yeah, it's just it's more the small things, actually, that that make the difference. Now, I think it's really important to reflect on that because often, you know, and I'm sure that I've been guilty of doing this as well. We can get really hung up on these like big goals like, oh, I want this amount of income or I want to get this you know, program or course out there and we can stop and we can fail to stop to notice that our lifestyle day to day is what we always wanted it to be mm. you know very often with my coaching clients will kind of you know try and ground in the present moment a bit and be like hey like look at your job that you have created for yourself does this match the life that you want or not um, and very often it, it does independent work really does have that ability to allow us to day-to-day -day live that lifestyle that we wanted to. Yeah, in fact, um, not so long ago, I was clearing out my office of piles of paper 
And uh, I came across um, a kind of vision board that I, I can't even remember ever doing. I think maybe I did it when, um, I don't know, I was either reading some sort of self-help stuff or I had some coaching for a while. So maybe I did it then, I can't remember. Um, but I had achieved everything on that list um, down to having a, a, a garden office um, in which I see my clients. So, yeah, it was amazing to see that, actually. Yeah, it's so important to reflect not just on the massive big things, but also mm -hmm. on those little things um, that really make the difference. So, you know, what inspired you to write the book? Because I know you did it as part of the ACP's um, initiative what made you think yes I want to share this personal experience that I've had and help others through it well I when when I was first diagnosed I was lying awake one night with all of this going through my mind and having never really been a writer at all um, I just felt I needed to write it just to you know get it out there and so um I sat at my desk here in the middle of the night just writing about the sort of um initial process of diagnosis and I got to the end of it and I actually wrote maybe this could be a book um so the idea came to me very early on but I never thought it would actually come to fruition um but the ACP partnered with Sequoia Books and were looking for ideas of books to publish. And initially I thought, oh no, I can't, I can't say about my idea. No one else will think it's a good idea. I can't write a book. <laughs> All of the, those thoughts showing up. Um, and yeah, eventually I, I put my idea forward. They loved it. And then I suddenly thought, well, hang on a sec, I'm not the only clinical psychologist going through difficult stuff. And this could be a series of books in which clinical psychologists talk about their own lived experience and bring in, obviously, the, the professional training that we've got. Um, so, again, I put that forward and, and um, both ACP and the publisher really liked it. And so I was then faced with writing the book <laughs> and also being the series editor. Wow. But I'm just wondering, you know, do you think it's because you were at such a senior level in the NHS that your mind always goes to how can I bring others with me on this journey? Because a lot of people might have thought, yep, yeah, I'll just focus on writing my book. But your first thought was, oh, there'll be other people that should be writing books. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'd never thought about it like that. Um yeah, I mean, it just, I think it was because when it dawned on me, actually, what a unique position that is to have both the personal and the professional, um, that I just thought, yeah, that, you know, we will have so much to share with other people going going through difficult things. Um, so I think maybe, as, a, as I'm answering this question, maybe it was just about, you know, connecting with those values of... Um, you know caring and and wanting to help um and that because those are the values that I've held on to when the when the writing has been difficult mm, I was going to ask about that actually because I've never managed to complete a whole book <laughs> started a few 
gotten to the middle point with a couple, and um, but I've never gotten to that completion aspect. You know, what were the the challenges along the way? Because I'm sure it's it wasn't easy. Yeah, it was challenging, and and certainly when I'd sort of been given the go ahead, I remember having a conversation with my husband, as sort of saying, "Oh, do I want to do this now? Because it means reconnecting." with this really difficult time I felt I was sort of just through the other side and could focus on life outside of cancer now um so yeah it was a difficult decision to start writing it and then yeah the process of writing was at times really really emotional um actually I think it was quite cathartic um and therapeutic for me as well but it was difficult at times so I mainly sort of would sit down on a Sunday to write and yeah it was you know faced with that choice of sitting and writing about some really difficult stuff or just having a nice Sunday afternoon doing something with the children you know it was difficult to make myself sit down but um yeah having made the commitment and knowing there was a series coming along did help with that as well but yeah it was holding on to the fact of you know I, I feel like hopefully I've got something to say that other people going through this will find helpful. And so I just kept reconnecting with that value and making myself sit down and write and um, taking it in smaller chunks when I needed to. And um, I'm quite an organized person. So I kind of set my own sort of goals of how much I wanted to get done. I was aiming for doing writing a chapter per month. So that sort of kept me on kept that momentum going I suppose so I didn't have too uh too many long breaks where I wasn't wasn't in the, in the habit of writing that sounds really helpful I've heard a lot of writers talk about having a consistent writing cadence and having that accountability mm. so somebody's expecting that chapter to be there at a certain time so was it mainly a Sunday afternoon activity for you or how did you fit it into your week? Because you're pretty busy. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I, you know, I was working a bit less then because obviously I'd recently finished treatment. So I think I sometimes had Fridays that I could spend writing and then, yeah, Sundays. Um, so, yeah, it, it, I, I've actually had more time to get it done than a lot of other authors in the series. Um, so that's been something that we've talked about a lot is... Um, yeah how to try and create and um, protect some space for the writing mm. and do you have any tips around that because that I think that's been my problem if I'm honest mm. it's that I've never been realistic about the amount of time it takes to finish a chapter I always think oh yeah a couple of evenings <laughs> I'll get that done and it, it you know of course you're just setting yourself up to fail <laughs> so how did you find you know goals that you could actually stick to yeah I mean I think as you said that kind of having having someone to whom you're accountable really helps if if you know if it's difficult for you to hold yourself accountable I suppose um yeah making making the time and and trying to be realistic about that thinking about where you write as well I think is is useful um on the whole I've I've tended to write at home and that's been fine but I know other other authors in the series have maybe taken themselves off to a cafe so they're out of the distractions of home um and that's worked for them um yeah some of the authors uh use use me um to be accountable so for to, for setting smaller deadlines so they've got a 
they've got a deadline with the with the publisher but they um use me to to you know set goals uh, smaller goals that will keep them more on track um yeah and, and keep coming back to why you want to write it um and i think envisaging the end point as well is something that we've we've all done um and once we got get into looking at uh cover designs and that kind of thing that's always really exciting and it starts to feel like it could be a real book and so I think yeah probably you've got to the most difficult bit maybe of the middle bit and then you know once you're three quarters through the end is in sight and it's easier to to keep going yeah I mean I think something else that yeah it's so interesting actually because I've just come off a coaching session talking with one of my coachees about their book (laughs) and something that I feel I had in common with them is sort of losing a bit of enthusiasm for the idea and having to tease apart whether that is imposter syndrome or you know Mm. whatever you want to call it your your mind monkey or whatever trying to protect you by making you kind of go off the idea or whether it is because it's it's not quite right anymore for Mm. your values or your interests um and I think that can be really tricky Mm. sometimes but perhaps that happens more often when you've let it drag on too long anyway yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) Um, so yeah I think I'm gonna I'm gonna take your advice and set myself some really clear goals with accountability partners (laughs) to to, to get my book done because I think I do still care about it um so what was the most joyful part of the experience for you? Um, I mean, I think I found I actually liked the writing process. Um, and, you know, although it was difficult, it was, it was, it feels good to have got it down there as a sort of, you know, a, as a timeline and a, as a, a, a document of, of what I went through. Um, completing it was obviously <laughs> a joyful moment um seeing uh seeing the cover and so the cover the artwork on the cover was done by a friend of mine who died of cancer oh, so wow. um yeah so that had real meaning as well to to see the see the cover um and then probably the best bit was receiving it in in actual physical form that was a very exciting moment (laughs) oh I bet but I I have heard a lot of authors say that when the book is complete you feel really elated and you feel like all the hard work's done and then they kind of hit you with the promotion (laughs) that you have to do (laughs) so how has that been like how are you promoting the book yeah, I think you're absolutely right there. I think it did feel like the end point with the book, but then it you realise actually that's just the starting point because no one knows your book is there unless you're promoting it. So, yeah, it's it's a challenge actually, and um, you know, especially around all the other things that I I, uh, I do in my work life. Um, so yeah, I've been doing some some podcasts, um, trying to. Uh, connect with uh, people in like relevant charities and uh, so there's several cancer charities so um, that's been useful Uh, I've done some things locally like going to my local bookshop and library Um, but yeah it is difficult and it's difficult because it's you know about self-promotion in a lot of ways which feels 
so difficult for a lot of us. Um, and it's also about exposing something very personal about myself, which has been a challenge for, for me and all the authors. It's the thing that we've talked about most through, um, through the process so far is about that dilemma of needing to share personal things in you know that's the essence of the book but equally feeling comfortable with that when really we're trained not to share anything personal about ourselves yeah I mean can you say a little bit more about how you've reconciled that is there a, a way that you think about it that helps yeah um I th how I wrote and I think how some of the others are writing was first of all I just put it all down there on paper and then I went back through and thought about, does that still feel comfortable for me to share? Am I happy for, you know, someone I know to read this? Am I happy for potential clients to read this? Um, I mean, we, we did agree that my husband and children wouldn't read the book because um, we agreed that it would be too painful for them. But outside of that, you know, was I happy with family, other other family members reading it? So that's, yeah, that's always been my my guide, really. And so, yeah, as I went through editing the book several times, each time I was reading it with that mindset of, am I happy to share this? Um, so, yeah, there were maybe times when I took things out that might have been helpful for other people to read, but I wanted to make sure I... It was going out there in a in a in a state that I was I was happy for, for that to be shared. I think that's so important, and and thank you for talking a little bit about that process because I think people worry about this a lot in advance before there's any words on the page, mm. but actually doing it the way that you did it, getting the words out first, knowing you're going to have several edits to go yeah. through, where you've always got permission to say no, I don't want that anymore. I think that sounds much more helpful than editing it before it's even been written. Yeah, 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 because that, that's just going to keep you paralysed, really. The yeah. other way that um, sometimes we've done it is, is you know, we've maybe written it in our first person to begin with, but then we've maybe adapted it and changed it into a third-person story. Um, so then the information the helpful information is still getting out there without necessarily it being so personal yes yeah there are lots of different ways I imagine that you can you know take what you want to share and find maybe multiple voices to contribute to yeah. it um so that it doesn't feel so much like it it's just coming from your experience yeah now that sounds really helpful so what is your biggest hope for the book and what it's going to achieve out there in the world well, I suppose my reason for writing it was that I felt my emotional needs through my cancer journey were not frequently asked about, recognised, validated. You know, I had amazing treatment through the NHS. I absolutely cannot fault the medical treatment I received. Um, but, you know, I found it such a difficult process to go through um and so I really wanted you know anyone else going through that to be able to read somewhere that 
the emotions they might be experiencing are understandable that you know it's it's good to sit with them and not push them away that you can still um reevaluate your values going through this process and you can still take some control in your life to be able to live in ways that align with those values even while you've got this awful diagnosis and this awful treatment going on it sounds like that message will be so much more powerful because it is coming from somebody that's been through it so i think it it sounds like that book's going to make an amazing contribution but i appreciate that it's probably stressful going and talking <laughs> to lots of people like me <laughs> and to get the word out about it so you know, before we wrap up, is there any advice that you would give to another independent mental health professional about writing their first book? I think it's really important to think about who your audience is going to be and why they're going to pick up your book. If you're really clear on that, who your audience is and what the value of the book is going to be, I think that will really help with with writing and then also just to you know notice those thoughts that show up that that tell you I can't do this I can't write I can't you know um I mean without fail all of the authors in the series have had those thoughts show up and there's some brilliant books in the pipeline <laughs> absolutely brilliant books um so yeah keep keep going get stuff down on paper um edit it later worry about that later um but just start keep going <laughs> and you will get there that's uh, really helpful advice I mean thank you so much for being so honest I think it really helps me and hopefully other people listening to hear impressive people like you talking about those kind of mind monkeys that make it difficult sometimes <laughs> to keep going I think if you're ever feeling like you shouldn't be doing something because you're struggling so much with anxiety around it just remember that people like Sarah <laughs> struggle too um, even though I'm sure when you look at her credentials you're pretty impressed as I am um, so yes thank you Sarah where can we find out more about you and find your wonderful book coping with breast cancer um well i'm assuming we can put some some links to um, of course yeah the sequoia website with the the link to the book um and um yeah i can put my socials on there as well um but yeah um you can google swan consultancy and find out most about me there brilliant and i'll put all of the links in the show notes so that you can do that nice and easily thank you so much for your time today sarah i really appreciate it thanks rosie really nice to chat is this the year that you take your private practice seriously? Maybe you're just starting out or perhaps you want to grow your practice with a team or passive income. Whatever stage you're at, I would love to support you. For new practices, I have our group coaching program, Start and Grow, where you'll find all the support, resources and knowledge you need to create an impactful and rewarding practice. 
For more established practices, come and take a look at my coaching for growth. I have a couple of spots left for individual coaching, so let me help you get 2024 off to the best start possible. Thank you so much for listening to the Business of Psychology podcast. I'd really appreciate it if you could take the time to subscribe, rate and review the show. It helps more mental health professionals just like you to find us and it also means a lot to me personally when I read the reviews. Thank you in advance and we'll see you next week for another episode of Practical Strategy and Inspiration to move your independent practice forwards.